You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Oh, okay. Let, let, uh, thank you. Let's pause it there. Six and two, Preston. Right, once again, he's a Bears fan, but six and two. It's June. If if I said to you, you guys could be six and two to start the year, would you sign up for that? Man, that's, that's, I feel like that's a great start, man. But uh, uh, another stat I got for him is, uh, you know, in my career, I've never lost to the Bears. So, yeah, I don't see that happening. I don't see that happening. You know, like I'm, I'm undefeated personally against the Bears. Every time I played them, I never lost. So that's including the Packers and even when I was in Washington. And, and I, I plan on continuing that streak. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So I absolutely love that. That was the uh, Adam Rank. We, we went over that a little while ago, I think, talking about his record prediction for the Green Bay Packers. He, he went through, so the, I think the one that I saw prior to that was him doing the Bears and I had made the, I think he said 10 wins or something like that. I think a lot of Bears fans are kind of landing on that. I have no idea. Some of them did last year too. Not many, but some. But the uh, the thing that I brought up about that was there's nothing necessarily wrong with the prediction aside from the fact that there's always this assumption that every bad team is an automatic win. Well, that's obviously not how that works. Even if you're the Kansas City Chiefs, you can't just expect to beat every bad, maybe you kind of can, but... Even when, when we did it for the Packers, you know, you look at like a record prediction or something, you throw a bone to like, you, you're going to drop one game that you probably shouldn't. So if you go through and just say, oh, we're going to beat all the bad teams, you are one of the bad teams, dummy. <laughs> you understand that every single team that you said that you beat, they're looking at their record, seeing the Chicago Bears and saying, well, we're going to win that one. And we're going to lose a lot of games, but at least we'll beat the friggin' Bears. Yeah, the number one pick, dude. But yeah, so then apparently he did the Green Bay Packers, had him off to a... Uh, what was it, six out of the first eight or something like that, but of course lost to the Chicago Bears, which I'm surprised he gave the Packers as many wins as he did to begin with, so it's hard to be too upset, but it is funny he tried to sneak that one in there. And of course Preston comes along with the stat, which is just hilarious, and the the funny thing about it is one person is bringing up just fake stuff, right? Just, I don't know, randomly, I I think this is gonna, sorry, I caught myself mid-cough there. (laughs) I wasn't throwing up in the microphone or anything. (laughs) Some things are probably just better edited, but we got to keep rolling here. The heck is Nintendo Direct? Anyways, Adam Rank is making stuff up, but Preston is bringing actual information, and it's stuff that actually is going to sting Bears fans, because there's nothing you can do with that information, except just accept it. I mean, he has been a Green Bay Packer for what, since 2019? So 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022, that's uh, 2468 meetings. And then I think he played twice with Washington. So that's even in addition to that where a lot of Bears, oh yeah, well guess what? Rodgers is gone now. Okay, Rodgers played poorly last year and we swept you. And he also played twice in Washington. Freaking Washington. I don't even need to go back and look at it because Washington has always been kind of a bad team. They're mediocre to bad every year for the last, what, 10 years, 20 years? I don't know. With the exception of a couple years. I mean, they're, they're, I guess, a lot like the Bears. They're just always meh to bad with a couple good years mixed in. But anyways, again, it's just going to sting. There's nothing you can do to fight that. Yeah, well, you that's true. All the bravado and all the talk and all that stuff, and, and it all comes down to, dude, I have never lost to the... And here's the other thing. How many players can say that in the NFL? 
probably a lot. Granted, some of them, it's, it's you know, excluding the, the players that have never played the Bears. Talking about players that have played the Bears, how many of them can say, I've never lost to the Chicago Bears? And the fact that the Green Bay Packers are on that list is freaking staggering. Even in one year, because that means you swept the team. It's like, oh, that's kind of crazy. That's two games. But how far back does that go? It goes a long way. Got to be 2018 was the last time. It's a rough year. Maybe, maybe not even. I don't remember. I think we did. Anyways, I was going to dig into how many players that is have been trying. Then I think about it. It's, it, it's going to be a lot of players. If you just think about how many players have been on the Packers roster, you know what I mean? Fun experiment, maybe, for another time. But I've already wasted too much time messing with that. Anyways, I thought we'd continue on with our little experiment here. Um, this time going uh, with tackles. I was thinking about offensive line, but there are way too many offensive linemen to just do that all in one go. And I know there's some, you know, consternation over who is what position and whatnot. It doesn't really matter. We're going to cover everybody. It's just a question of what order we do it in. And so if you are a guard that gets put in a tackle group or however it is you think it should be, I don't care. But we're just going to go along with what our lads has for the Green Bay Packers. I think that's the easiest way to do it because it's consistent. And that will consist of David Bakhtiari, Zach Tom, Yash Nyman, Rashid Walker, Caleb Jones, Luke Tenuta, Gene DeLance, and Kadeem Telford. So we got eight offensive tackles. And then I think tomorrow we'll just do interior, which will take a while. But you got three, six, and we got eight again. So it works out nicely. As always, some of them are just more of a recap of what we already know, just a refresher. David Bakhtiari, obviously, it's more just about what's he done the last couple years and where he's at, his future, and all that. And then you get into the uh, Kadeem Telfords of the world, and, well, that's one of those things where you get on the flashcards and go, I thought I knew everybody, but I don't know who that is. So let's just start with Mr. David Bakhtiari. The man needs no introduction, Um, but I think it's a good idea to kind of really take a look at exactly the the big picture view of a guy like Bakhtiari. And I think one of the things we need to genuinely consider, because we talked about it last, pretty much this entire offseason, and it's like, look, I know Bakhtiari's this, that, or the other in the locker room, but he's a top five tackle, so we, we you know, you just got to suck it up or whatever. Here's sort of the question. First of all, he is 31.7 years old. He's going to be 32 this year. I want to look at Bakhtiari and his career arc because you know at some point it's going to taper the question is when or perhaps the question should be has it already happened so to start off with his career starting in 2013 he had a 69 grade then went to a 72 then a 76 and then an 86 that was essentially the apex of the mountain and i don't mean 86 is the highest he's ever had i just mean now we've kind of reached the top and now he's kind of like Devonte around year four all of a sudden, he's becoming a dominant guy. It's just a matter of how long is it going to last, okay? 2016, he had an 86 grade. By the way, for record, it's almost entirely pass blocking his entire career with the exception of 2020. We'll get to that. 2016, it's an 86. Then it goes to an 87, an 88. The next year, in 2019, it's an 80. So it's actually a 79. He took a pretty significant drop. Then in 2020, it's back up to a... Uh, 92. So that was his absolute highest. And that was sort of a spike when everybody else spiked in 2020. So it's kind of a weird thing, right? So he kind of peaked 2016, 17, and 18, and then he had to drop off. And then there was a spike, but I don't know if that's an artificial spike based on 2020 just being nuts. By the way, it was his only year of having a good run blocking grade. It was an 87. He has been a consistent 
a run blocker graded out in the 60s since pretty much forever. 2021, he also was in the 70s, whatever. I don't want to get too in the weeds because you can't see this and it's hard to maintain it all in your head. All right, so 2016, 80, 80, 80. Weird little 79 year. Then a huge jump up to 92. Then in 2021, well, I, I guess we should say in 2020, he got injured. 2021, he only played 27 snaps. Then in 2022, his grade was a 79. So in the last four years, and, and I understand one of these, so 2022, he was out for a couple weeks, and then 2021, he was out most of the, the season. But I just want to read the grades the last four years. 79, 92, 75, 79. In four years, he's had one elite year, and that was the year that everybody on this offense was elite. He has had zero years out of the last three where he's played a full season, which is a little bit unfair because it's basically one injury through those three years. But it's the reality. And I think the one big rebuttal would be, yeah, well, when he's healthy, he's great. And when he came back, he was dominant. Well, kind of. He came back week three, and it was pretty bad. Week four, pretty bad. Week five, pretty bad. And then boom, 85, 88. But did he maintain that? No. It was 65, 74, 77, 70, 69, 57 is how he ended. Now, he still had his normal 87 pass blocking grade, whatever. But it is unusual seeing this many subpar games from Bakhtiari. So I'm not trying to make any declaration about what I think. It's entirely possible that you can just look at this and say, look, he's still elite. He's still dominant. It was just a little bit of a blip because, you know the the injury and 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 this year he's fully healthy so he's going to go back to being dominant that's entirely possible but i don't want to leave out the fact that the injury could impact him for the rest of his life on top of the fact that he's 32 years old and he's not going to stay elite for the rest of his life right it's we know if he were to play until he's 40 he's probably not going to be there right okay so let's eliminate that so if if he's not going to be elite at 40 where do you draw the line can we at least consider the fact that his best years are behind him? And remember, the Packers have always been a team that have gotten rid of a guy a year early instead of a year too late. It'll be very interesting to see how he does this year. Obviously, I want him to be the number one tackle in football. And last year, the, the, I mean, again, there's nothing wrong with the 79 grade. He was the 12th highest graded tackle in football. Still a top 10 pass blocker. I'm just saying, I'm wondering if we're starting to see the beginning of... In other words, the, the descent off the top of the mountain. I'm not saying bad. I'm not saying crash and burn, right? You, you don't go from the top of the mountain down into the valley. You're still up really high when you start your descent. And so I, I guess if you were to ask me, you know, would you take a bet that David Bakhtiari is a top 10 offensive tackle? I would be a little bit on the fence. I think there's a really good argument for it. You give him a full year. Again, he had three bad games that are kind of unfair because it took him a little while to get back into the groove of things. He gave up zero sacks, zero hits, and 10 hurries. He did that in 11 games. So um, I, I, I would be shocked if he isn't still a very good tackle. But I think when you look at the fact that he, he still missed some weeks last year, I think his health is a question mark. And even if you can look at it and say, well, he's, he's again, he's great when healthy. In those last two games where he kind of took a dip, well, he just came back from injury again. Okay, but I can't give you credit for constantly being injured all the time either. It's not exactly a positive. So... I guess we'll keep our fingers crossed that uh, he's got another year in him. Maybe he has another two or three, but I, I just feel like the more I think about it, the more we really need to make sure that we have a plan moving forward at tackle. I don't know that we have two tackles on this team that are, you know, I'm, I'm positive. Well, I shouldn't say I'm positive. I'm, I'm comfortable saying we don't have a, uh, you know, 2017 David Bakhtiari on the roster right now, although Elton Jenkins could. I'm just saying he might be pretty good. 
But even if he's got a couple years left, again, I'm fine letting somebody else have him for, in fact, all the better because it's just going to make it better for us to trade him. So if he has a great year this year, that's great for us this year and it's great for his trade value, right? Similar to Rodgers. I'm sure he's got a couple years left in the tank that's going to benefit the Jets. Good for the Jets. Still the right move for us to move on. I think that's going to be the case for us next year with Bakhtiari. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe he plays the whole year, dominates, and it's like, screw it. Let's just bring him back. You know, we went on a playoff run. We're not getting rid of him. We'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But the numbers and the grades and whatnot, and again, especially the injuries, have just been kind of brutal. Now, he came back week three. He played three, four, five, six, and then not seven. I forget when our bye was, but it was later than that. So he missed week seven, and then he played weeks eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, and then he missed 13, 14, 15, and 16. I think our bye was somewhere in there, but he still missed three games. And then came back, and, and, and again, as a result of the injury, we're talking five games out of 11 that are probably bad because of injury. The first three were his first three back where he struggled, and then he finally got back into the groove week six. And then again, after week 12, he was out with injury again, came back 17 and 18, but didn't really play very well in week 17 and 18. Well, I, I, I guess that's unfair to say. Pa- pass blocking was still on point, which really is all that matters. No, not really. But the run blocking was... Uh, in, in week 18, it was abysmal. Anyways, let us go to, um, I guess, Zach Tom. Let's just do it. Let's just go all in, man. Zach Tom. First of all, before we get started, just a question. Can you name all the tackles that started last year and then tell me roughly, kind of cheated with David Bakhtiari, what their grades were. What do you think? There were six guys that played tackle. Four guys PFF calls tackles. Elton Jenkins played tackle. He's a guard. Royce Newman played tackle. He's a guard. Ready? Here we go. David Bakhtiari's number one, highest graded. Second, Luke Tenuta. Only played seven snaps, but he's the second highest graded. 71.7 overall grade, 73 run blocking grade, 74 pass blocking grade. Third, by the way, he played seven snaps at right tackle. Bakhtiari, 597 at left tackle. Third is Zach Tom. Now, Zach Tom played all over the offensive line, which is one of the big things about, you know, first of all, he's a rookie. Second of all, he played very well, especially if you look at pass blocking. He's actually the second highest graded pass blocker of the group. And then fourth of all, it's hard to kind of get your bearings when you're playing four different positions. But he had a 68.3 grade, 55.7 run blocking, 78.1 pass blocking. He played almost 300 snaps at left tackle. 96 at left guard, 14 at right guard, 84 at right tackle. Fourth, you have Yash Nyman. Now, let me just say this. I I appreciate Yash for everything he's done, but I tend to think even I've kind of put him a little bit more on a pedestal than what he's deserved. Um, The the most annoying thing about Yash Nyman is that every time I try to go in hard uh, after Billy Turner and how terrible he was, the only guy that keeps me from saying that he was the Billy Turner was the absolute worst tackle we've had every single year he was here is Yash Nyman. He's the only offensive lineman on this entire team at any position who at any point was worse than Billy Turner. So he is a serviceable guy. I think he is a fantastic backup. He's the kind of guy that back in the day the Packers always used to have it back at, at, at backup offensive lineman. You know, we'd have like TJ Lang as a backup, you know. Just like guys that in a pinch could absolutely start. But I don't know. I just, we have to have somebody better than Yash Nyman. Anyways, Yash was fourth. He played 200 snaps at left tackle, 555 at right tackle, and one snap at left guard for whatever reason. All right, so that's an interesting little tidbit. Again, Zach Tom's second highest graded pass blocker, Bakhtiari with an 88, 
and then it goes Zach Tom 78, uh, and then it's Yash at 74, Luke Tenuta at 74. Yash, I'm rounding down, Luke is rounding up. All right, anyways, let's zoom in on Zach Tom a little bit. Real quick, let's just back up to his college days. He was, again, a fourth-round pick. So he's 6'4", 304, fourth-round pick out of Wake Forest. You probably, if you were listening, you realized that I became a huge Zach Tom fan, and that was because of SIS. I went and looked at the work that they were doing, and it wasn't even necessarily any of the scouting reports or anything that they put out, but it was the data that they had. They, they've got their draft thing up there, and I hadn't even heard of Zach Tom as a prospect, really. And he was at the top of like every list, every single list. He was near the top. Who the heck is this Zach Tom? So I became a big fan of Zach Tom, got super jacked up when we drafted him, et cetera, et cetera. But um, looking at him at Wake Forest, he actually looks a lot like David Bakhtiari. <laughs> like, but in college, it was four years until his breakout, consistently getting better every year as far as overall. He went from a 62 to a 66 to a 73, and then he, in, in year four, 85. And he, he started three of those four years. But his pass blocking was always solid. 77, then a 79, then an 84, and then a 92. So again, continually getting better, but just a phenomenal pass blocker. In his four years of playing, again, starting three-ish, 3,000 snaps, let's just say that, 1,629 pass blocking. He only gave up four sacks in his career, 38 total pressures, and he played um, exclusively, and this is very odd for an offensive lineman, at left tackle and center with the exception of seven snaps at right tackle and two on the outside, which doesn't matter. So his first two years, he was a center. And then in 2020, they kicked him over to left tackle and he stayed there for the rest of his career, except for his seven snaps at right tackle. So this is part of the reason that they're giving him a little bit of work on at, at center, just to, again, see who our best five is. He does have that ability. I absolutely don't want him there. He is a tall, long, athletic guy who is a really good pass blocker. Nothing about him to me says center. Everything about him says tackle. I understand trying it, and I understand a lot of us don't like Josh Myers. And I'll be honest, I went back and watched that game, uh, packing that after dark. Somebody was like, go check that play where Rodgers threw the interception to Aiden Hutchinson or whatever. And I watched that whole series, and two of them, we failed because of Josh Myers. So I got especially upset with him. Just got freaking blown up. So anyways, that's, that is Zach Tom. Then we look at what he did last year. Got off to a really slow start in week one. We played him at left guard. He was terrible. 40 overall grade, 44 run blocking, 34 pass blocking, gave up two hurries, just not good. He didn't play week two, three, four, five, or six. Week seven, he comes back and plays left tackle. Certainly not an easy assignment, not easy to fill in for David Bakhtiari. Especially, again, coming in completely cold. You're a rookie, you have not taken a single left tackle snap, in the regular season at least. We could, let's take a peek at preseason real quick. So preseason, he was freaking dominant. He played, oh, no left tackle snaps, 49 left guard, 75 right tackle, but he had an 80 overall grade, 78 run blocking, and an 87.6 pass blocking grade. His grades in order went 76, 82, and 87. So just dominant. All right, back to the regular season. So again, week one against Minnesota, left guard, not a good experiment. Comes back week seven to fill in for David Bakhtiari, 47 run blocking grade, really not good, but... 82.2 pass blocking grade, didn't give up a single sack, hit, or hurry. Zero pressures in that game on 54 snaps. 41 of those were pass blocking. 41 out of 54. That's all we did in that game was pass. Then he plays again in week eight. Pass blocking wasn't as good. It was a 57. He gave up a sack and a hit, but he had a 74 run blocking grade. So still a good, decent performance. He had a 73 overall grade. And that, by the way, was at guard. Then he goes back to tackle week nine and again goes back to being a really good pass blocker, 83.3. Then they shut him down. 
We don't get to see him week 10, 11, 12. He comes back week 13, again to play left tackle. Again, has a really good pass blocking grade, 77.4. He gave up one hurry. We see him week 15 against LA. Again, he's playing left tackle. Again, very good pass blocking, 82 overall grade. Now, the run blocking still not good, 47.9, whatever. But freaking dominant. No sacks, no hits, one, pre- uh, one hurry. Week 16, again, with David Bakhtiari out, left tackle. 80 pass blocking grade, zero sacks, zero hits, two hurries. Then week 17, David Bakhtiari comes back. They kick him to, let's see, he played six snaps at left tackle, one at right guard, 48 at right tackle. Still did a very good job, 78.3 grade. Then week 18 rolls around, and it was his first time playing tackle and just not doing a good job. It was right tackle, again, because David Bakhtiari's back, but 59 overall, 65 run blocking, which is one of his best, but a 45 pass blocking grade. It was his worst pass blocking performance since week one against Minnesota. He gave up no sacks, but two hits, one hurry, three total pressures. So when he played left tackle, let's do that. Here were his grades while playing left tackle. His his pass blocking, uh, 80, 82, 77, 83, and 82. When he played guard, it was 57 and 34. I don't want him on the inside. And then when he played right tackle, it was 50-50. It was a 78 and a 45. Now, again, the run blocking isn't great, but this guy was freaking elite as a pass blocker playing left tackle. And he played against, again, it was Miami, L.A., Chicago, Detroit, and Washington. He played left tackle. So, you know, again, I have been uh, pretty straightforward about my thoughts on Zach Tom taking over at center and and whatnot the the guy's a tackle and I don't know I don't know what else to say about it and he seems to prefer the left side of the line but small sample size that could mean anything could just be a coincidence that he had his one bad day out there plus a lot of people had a bad day against Detroit including David Bakhtiari so you know the the, the run blocking is not necessarily where you want it to be maybe that'll improve with time maybe it won't and you end up with essentially the tackle version of john runyon where you know the the run blocking is suspect but you put up with it because the guy's a phenomenal pass blocker and, and to some degree with jordan love being at the helm i think i'm okay with that but um you know we'll, we'll get into yash nyman might as well do that next but i, I can tell you right now there is no doubt in my mind who I'd rather have playing at the tackle position. But I tell you what, why don't we take a break here? Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy if you'd like to support the podcast. You can hit me up on Venmo, Packernet Podcast. Thank you for everybody that has supported me. I really, really do appreciate that. Please remember to check out um, the post pinned to the top of my Twitter as well as the Packernet Podcast Facebook group. We are um, supporting a GoFundMe for a fellow Packer fan who's got a family desperately in need. And, or if you're looking for a uh, ministry or charity to support, please consider Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry. You can find them at FertileGroundRanch.org. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited. 
about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, Yoshi, the Yash Master Nyman. So Yash Nyman is, you know, despite maybe not being a premier player, is a heck of a success story. Six foot seven, three hundred and fourteen pound, undrafted free agent in twenty nineteen. Originally played for Virginia Tech, was a pretty, I, I guess, relatively mediocre player, but as usual, really good pass blocker. I'm, I'm guessing that's what most teams look for, but I know that's what the Packers look for. Even though Matt LaFleur is the head coach now, and we all think, well, he's going to be more interested in run blocking, I tend to think Green Bay Packers' process supersedes Matt LaFleur's desire, and it seems like the process continues of best of luck figuring out how to teach him to run block. We are going to focus on pass blocking. Just saying. Anyways, uh, four years at Virginia Tech, three-ish, three-and-a-half-ish years starting. His last three years... Um, 62s across the board run blocking 78 74 75 very consistent but that was his pass blocking so really good pass blocker or solid pass blocker out of virginia if i didn't say that so we pick him up 2019 he doesn't start not surprisingly he's an undrafted free agent he does play in the preseason and he plays quite poorly his grades are 55 49 61 and 51 so somewhat brutal and not a whole lot of upside although a couple glimmers of decent pass blocking but already in 2020, we're pushing this guy to the forefront as a potential offensive lineman. Week two, he plays five snaps at left tackle. Week nine, he plays four snaps at left tackle. Week 12, two snaps. Week 16, three snaps. Now, interestingly enough, every single one of these was run blocking. So I'm guessing this is some kind of a, I don't know what you call it. Or it could just be, hey, Yash is in there. We're not passing the ball. We're not risking Aaron Rodgers. Just run it until we can get this guy's shoe freaking back on and tied. I don't know what the situation is, but 14 plays over four different games. Every single one of them was a run-blocking play, and he graded out with a 59.2 grade run-blocking because that's all he did. Then 2021, again, he gets pushed a little bit further into the limelight as a legitimate tackle. He played um, 589 snaps all at left tackle, one snap at left guard. But he ended with a 58 run-blocking grade and a 66 pass-blocking grade. He had three sacks, seven hits. 10 hurries, 20 total pressures. And again, just the fact that this is the guy that we turn to when David Bakhtiari is injured 
in just year three of of being an undrafted free agent is uh, again it's a, it's a sec- it's a success story in and of itself but i also think we've we've kind of peaked because really 2022 he ended with nearly identical grades although pass blocking was slightly better in 2022 he played just about every game actually it might have been 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 9 10 11 12 13 15 so yeah he played in every single game that's crazy but he started off through week 6 as a left tackle to varying degrees and then was our right tackle starting in week 7 he ended with a 63 grade exact same as 2021 a 54 run blocking grade, which is slightly worse than 2021, and then a 74.4 pass blocking grade, which is fine. However, statistically, not the best. Five sacks, a hit, and 22 hurries. And on top of that, one of the things I don't like is inconsistency. Now, Zach Tom technically had inconsistency too, but again, never at left tackle. Josh Nyman had three games at 40 or below. Week three, and this is just pass blocking, week three of 45, week four of 48, and then week 18, like everybody else, a 32 grade. What the heck happened against Detroit? Man, this team really ticks me off. You know that? It's unbelievable how often the entire team implodes just in, in the most important games of the season. Every time you look at when the season ended, you look at every freaking person. And I think, I think week 18, if you look at it, it's all rookies that played well. Everybody else was just complete garbage. Like Christian Watson balled out. Devontae Wyatt had a great game. But freaking A, dude. Just complete trash. 35 grade, 33 run blocking, 32 pass blocking. Not good. So, again, I like Yash Nyman. I think he's relatively competent when it comes to uh, being a tackle. But I think he's kind of peaked. I think we know what he is. This is what he's always going to be, which is great because I think he reached his ceiling. And that's going to make him some money in the NFL. I think he's going to be a guy that bounces around. Maybe he stays here for a while. Maybe he moves around. But he's certainly got value at a premium position. So, you know great for him. And I can see where it would be a battle, because if you look at last year, Josh Nyman and Zach Tom are relatively similar. But as we've been saying, Zach Tom came into the NFL with a lot more um, pizzazz. You know, he blew up the preseason, just dominated. He came in, played left tackle, and dominated. And he was also moving around constantly, which kind of hurt him a little bit. But I really think we just stick him somewhere, and I think he's going to have... I, I just... I think he's a better... I think he's a better tackle. But I also understand saying... It's not that big of a drop-off, or if it's not that big of a, a drop-off to go from Yash Nyman, maybe you go with the second-best guy, and then you kick Zach Tom inside because there's still some value there, although I don't necessarily like his value inside. But just for argument's sake, I could see that, as opposed to putting Zach Tom out there, and Yash is not going to kick inside. And so it's a bigger drop-off at you know center guard, wherever, by not having Zach Tom there or whatever. But I just I don't see that. Again, I think it's Bakhtiari, Elton Jenkins... Myers, Runyon, Zach Tom. All right, let us continue. I think the next guy we're going to look at is Mr. Rashid Walker, 2022 seventh round pick. Again, as a reminder, Rashid Walker and Caleb Jones were both brought in last year. Uh, Rashid Walker was expected to be somewhat of a, kind of thought to be like a mid-round pick. We ended up picking him up in the seventh. A lot of upside and hype about him. A lot of the 2022 class was. We got guys later than they were expected to go. He's also well known for um, pancaking a guy and then humping him on the field. That's probably what he's most known for. But both Rasheed Walker and Caleb Jones were kind of exciting people last year as far as how good of a job they were doing playing. So I'm really hoping to see some continued growth from these guys. But Rasheed Walker, six foot six, 324 pounds, an absolute mountain of a man out of Penn State. 
Um, surprisingly, not massively fantastic grades. Um, four years there, started three. His grades, 56, 67, 70, and 62. No real difference between run blocking and pass blocking, kind of just mediocre. Looks like 2020 was kind of his best year. He had a 70 grade, 72 run blocking, 67 pass blocking. Um, he gave up two sacks and 12 hurries. In his career, he's given up 10 sacks, six hits, 40 hurries, which is a big number, especially for basically just three years. And that's on uh, 1,100 pass blocking snaps. He played almost his entire career at left tackle. 2,049 snaps there, 29 at right tackle, 2 at left guard. I don't know why they just always have to have one or two randomly somewhere. But just a quick refresher on some of uh, his characteristics coming out since he was a recent draft pick. This is via Ian Cummings over at Pro Football Network. I always get him confused because they all sound the same. Walker was already a known quantity before the 2020 season. In 2019, he started all 13 games for the Nittany Lions, a redshirt freshman. Then in 2020, he reprised his role, locking down Sean Clifford's blindside. So there's another interesting uh, connection there. This is Sean Clifford's left tackle. Walker returned to college football as one of the best tackles in the nation, and in a relatively unsettled class, he has a chance in 2021 to gain a foothold at the top. So for reference, this was written after the 2021 draft prior to the 2021 season. We'll skip down to his overview. He said, there's some upside with Walker, who remains a, a, a uh, young tackle prospect. The Penn State offensive tackle has great size, 6'6", 320. Flashes good open field athleticism and power for his size, particularly in run-blocking reps. As a pass blocker, his sudden violent hands can help him carry great momentum in his punches. Unfortunately for Walker, the Penn State offensive tackle needed 2021 to be a year where he took a leap. That didn't happen in the regular season. Walker has his bright moments, but especially against top competition, was very streaky. Especially as a pass blocker, poor leverage, stiffness, and lack of balance put Walker at a disadvantage. Walker has shown he has the capacity to bend his knees more, and if he can make his footwork more efficient, he may be able to mitigate the stiffness concerns. But 2021 was, at best, a lateral season for Walker, and his stock may have regressed a bit. He still has enough scheme-independent upside to have fans on day two, but he's likely a mid-first-round pick for most. Sorry, I said that wrong. <laughs> Not a mid-first. Likely a mid-round pick for most. So again, now this was, again, early in the process. But he was at one point seen as a second to third round pick, maybe fourth-ish, fifth-ish, right? So somewhere between two and five. Then there's Tony Pauline. I'll just read this real quick. He says, Walker is a prospect I projected as an early selection off of his freshman tape. He possesses terrific size and athleticism and has a fluid pass-protecting left tackle with tremendous upside. He needs to focus on the details of his position, keep his concentration on the field, and improving his playing strength to meet the expectations I have of him. If he does, Walker has all pro potential at the next level. So there you go. So obviously he didn't play at all in the regular season. We did get to see him in the preseason, but only briefly. He played in one game, and that was against Kansas City, but he played fairly well. Again, the run blocking was somewhat suspect, as we've come to understand or expect. But out of 49 blocks, 35 of them were pass blocking, and he had an 83.6 pass blocking grade, didn't give up a single sack, hit, or hurry. So very limited uh, exposure to Rashid Walker, but he had a really good camp, and as far as I can tell, a really good preseason. So he's not really a big talked-about player, but I think with Caleb Jones and Rashid Walker, especially Rashid Walker, there's some potential for... Um, Having another sort of Yash Nyman that can maybe in a year or two be a legitimate backup, maybe starter, but probably not. But all right, let's move on to Mr. Caleb Jones. 
the absolute mountain of a human being, which is where the excitement comes from. But I'll be honest, when I th- th- this is the classic example of a guy that all Packer fans are going to get excited about, and as a result, I'm absolutely not going to get excited. Everybody got excited because he's six foot nine, three seventy, which is stupid. But in my mind, I'm thinking there's a reason. Well, the biggest reason is most human beings aren't that size, but it's it's. It's, there's a lot more to being a tackle than just being huge, right? And I have to assume mobility is a bit of a problem when you're that freaking big. But he was really good. <laughs> and, and here's the thing. The ceiling is high for a guy like that if you can teach him to be really good at football. Because he is an absolute freaking road grader. And for somebody that is on a team that doesn't have a lot of good run blockers, let me just start with this. His preseason run blocking grade was an 84. Against San Francisco, he had a 91 run blocking grade. He ended the preseason 85 overall, 84 run blocking, and 80 pass blocking. He gave up zero sacks, zero hits, and one hurry against San Francisco, and that was it. So jumping ahead a little bit, but again, it was really quite impressive what he was doing last offseason. But going back to college, played um, left and right tackle, primarily right tackle for the Indiana Hoosiers. Again, 6'9", 370. Undrafted free agent, if I didn't say that. Really didn't grade out very well at all, so this is purely an upside thing. Um, His grades in four years there, first year doesn't really count, but the grades are pretty much in line. So 50, 65, 48, 60 was his overall. Run blocking, 62, 62, 56, 65. Pass blocking, 26, 67, 31, 55. All over the place, and not very good at all. Strangely, his string in the preseason was better than he ever did in college. (laughs) So I don't have massively high hopes for Caleb Jones, but the thought of a guy like that being able to play, even if it's just once a while for some gimmicky stuff, I, I don't mind. So, I mean, honestly, he's just another reason to kind of get excited about, um, training camp, a guy that we kind of forget about, but Last year, he was front and center as far as reasons to be excited. I remember seeing all the pictures and all the videos and just seeing a guy towering over the monstrous human beings that we have playing offensive line, defensive line, whatever. So, again, not a ton of information. Really didn't have the greatest college career, but really surprised, I think, with the Green Bay Packers. And uh, we'll see. We'll see if he can kind of duplicate that again. Then we go to Luke Tenuta. Interestingly enough, Luke Tenuta also played for the Virginia Tech Hokies. Six foot eight. 319, so freaking good lord. Another massive human being. He's not 370, but six foot eight. Um, actually did have a quite a good career at Virginia Tech, playing left and right tackle. He started off purely as a right tackle. Then he was mostly a right tackle, but played 79 snaps at left tackle. Then in 2021, he had 600 snaps at left, 62 at right. So they shifted him over to left tackle, which usually happens. You kind of start off over on the right side and then as you become more, you know, good and the other guys leave, you 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 get a promotion over to left tackle. But um, year one was a 62 grade, 60 run blocking, 60 pass blocking. Year two, which was his best year, 85.7 overall, 87 run blocking, 70 pass blocking. His best pass blocking year, 2021, 78 overall, 74 run, and 79 pass blocking. Two sacks, one hit, three hurries is what he gave up. Only really had one bad game the entire year against West Virginia. 42 overall grade, had a 19.3 pass blocking grade. Otherwise, 70s and 80s almost every single game as a pass blocker. 
So I would say significantly more upside, which is the reason he was drafted in the sixth round, not by the uh, Buffalo, uh, by the Packers, but by the Buffalo Bills. So Tenuta gets drafted in the sixth round by Buffalo for whatever reason, they really just didn't, didn't like him at all. I don't know. It's an, it's an uncommon thing in Green Bay. We don't usually just kick six round picks out the door in the first year, but uh, he was waived three months after he got drafted in the sixth round, which is staggering. The Indianapolis Colts immediately picked him up like that same month, probably that same week. Two months later, they waived him. And at that, you know, we were the ones that picked him up on a waiver claim from Indy. Now, generally speaking, when you get cut that often, it's not a great sign. I mean, again, how does a sixth round pick get booted like as soon as training camp starts? That's freaking crazy. But he did manage to play, uh, let me see. He played three preseason games for Buffalo, 46th grade against Indy, which he, that's the team that picked him up, then up to a 68 against Denver, really good run blocking, bad pass blocking, and then at Carolina, 64 with a 71 pass blocking grade, didn't give up any hits, hurries, pressures, nothing. In total over the preseason, one sack, one hit, six hurries given up. Played almost exclusively at right tackle, although the first week against Indy played a little left tackle. Strangely enough, he did play in the regular season, and it was for the Green Bay Packers. He played seven snaps against the Minnesota Vikings in Week 17, four run-blocking snaps, three pass-blocking snaps. He ended with a 71.1 grade, 73 run-blocking, 74 pass-blocking. No sacks, hits, or hurries. Again, just three pass-blocking snaps, but still. All seven came at right tackle. So it's a small sample size, but it doesn't hurt that he has some regular season action. Again, he's a six-round pick. He's a massive human being that was actually drafted. And he came in out of nowhere to play right tackle for the Packers and did a good job. Anyways, that leaves us with two final tackles. We've got uh, Gene or Jean, I have no idea. DeLance, I think Gene would be better, mean Gene, right? Anyways, DeLance also is a 2022 undrafted free agent. He got picked up by Chicago. Three months later, again in August, he was waived. Three months after that, Arizona added him to his practice squad. And then one month after that, in December, Green Bay signed him off of Arizona's practice squad. And then in January of this year, uh, I don't exactly know how it works, but we signed him to our... What do you call that? I don't know. But he, he's still on the team. Words and terms and stuff. But uh, DeLance has been around for quite a while. I don't know how old he is, but I'm guessing he's a little bit uh, up in age. He actually started in college in 2016 playing for Texas. He only played five snaps... Uh, all five coming at left tackle. He re-emerged, so this was 2016, he re-emerged in 2018 in Florida, played 41 snaps for them, all at right tackle. Ba basically, from then on, he was purely a right tackle. He had his five left tackle snaps, and then he went on to have almost 2,000 snaps at right tackle. But 2018, 19, 20, and 21, he was with Florida. Grades were pretty terrible, so uh, just to back up, 6'5", 307, Florida Gators. Uh, he pretty much graded in the 50s in every category every year without going through it. 50s every year overall, 50s every year as a run blocker with the exception of a 60.8 in 2021, 50s every year as a pass blocker with the exception of a 62. He gave up 12 sacks, 21 hits, and 49 hurries, 82 total pressures in his 1,100 pass blocking reps, added 15 penalties to that. He hasn't done anything in the regular season, but he did play a little bit with Chicago last year in the preseason, weeks one and two. Nine total snaps, 
Seven of them were as a run blocker, and he had a 58 grade as a run blocker, which is just his MO. Two pass blocking reps. He had a 75 grade, which is fine, but it's two snaps, so it's irrelevant. So um, I I don't know what to say about DeLance, but I guess that's his background so that you know. Certainly wouldn't expect big things. No offense to the good sir. And finally, that brings us to our uh, one new addition at tackle this year, and that is Kadeem Telfort. Six foot eight, three hundred and thirty. We do like our massive, mountainous human beings. It's crazy we have two six eight guys and a six seven guy. But six eight, three thirty out of UAB, played for the UAB Blazers. Graded out fairly well. Again, not a not a major school over there at UAB, but seventies um, pretty well across the board. Three years at UAB, two of them as a starter, only 200 snaps in 2020. But um, pretty consistent for both years. So his most recent year, 75 overall, 73 run blocking, 73.6 pass blocking. Um, That's pretty consistent for 2021. He gave up one sack, two hits, seven hurries for the season of 2022. And his career, three sacks, six hits, 13 hurries, 22 total pressures. Played... um, Almost every snap at left tackle, although he played seven at left guard. So relatively consistent. He certainly is much better regularly as a pass blocker. The only reason that the grades are pretty close is because he's got two really, really bad pass blocking games um, that kind of bring down his average. But digging back a little bit as far as his draft guide goes, looking at um, Dane Brugler's guide, he had him as the number 23 out of 28 offensive tackles. He ran a 5-4-5 40 time, which is uh, one of the slower ones, I think, of anybody. The only one I can see that was slower was Connor Galvin, who ran a 5-4-8. His 36-inch arms are tied for the longest arms with Demontre Jacobs out of South Florida. So massive, massive wingspan. Relatively small hands, though, which is weird. 86-inch uh, wingspan. But he is 24 and a half years old, which is um, looks like the second oldest tackle of the group. Anyways, here's some of the information. Uh, apparently, he also goes back quite a way. So there was the three years at UAB that I can see on PFF. But he actually was all the way back in 2017 with Florida. But he was away from the team for his role in a credit card scandal and then decided to leave the program. And then in 2018, went to Garden City Community College in Kansas. 2019, he went to Highland Community College in Kansas before 2020 getting back into a program over at UAB. Here is what the summary has to say. Kadeem Telford, who is one, has one older sister and eight younger sisters, good lord, didn't play much football growing up until he went to Norland Senior High for his senior season. He transferred to Booker T. Washington and was all-conference left tackle. A four-star recruit, Telford committed to his hometown school at Miami before flipping to Florida, but was suspended in 2017 for his role in a credit card fraud scheme. He went on the JUCO route before transferring to UAB and earned the starting left tackle job. Telford is a massive human with remarkable length, and rushers have a tough time getting around with surface area that he covers. He exhibits upper body strength, especially in the run game, but his lateral movements are choppy and he struggles to redirect, recover when out of position. Overall, Telford must become a more balanced blocker, but his gargantuan size and wingspan helps mask his issues. NFL offensive line coaches will want to tinker with all his tools. So the the Packers, I mean, this is what they do anyways, right? You go get the wide receivers that are 6'5 and run a 4'3'5 and eventually, you know, you just assume one of them's going to hit. Seems like they're doing that with seventh round and undrafted free agent guys. We're like, just go get the biggest human being that we can find. And in this case, he's basically one of them. 
I mean, I can only see two offensive tackles that are taller, Blake, Blake Freeland and Dalton Wagner at 322 pounds. Let's see, there's do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Uh, one tackle that's bigger, and that's Darnell Wright, who's 333. And again, I already mentioned the arms, the, the arm length and whatnot. So, I mean, just ridiculous human. And they're going to, as he said, tinker with him and see how it goes. And, but that is funny. We, we've, I mean, obviously all offensive linemen are pretty big, but between Kadeem Telford, Caleb Jones, who was a man among boys, a man among monsters, and uh, Luke Tenuta, that's pretty crazy. But anyways, that's it. Those are our offensive tackles. As far as the 53-man roster is concerned, we in the Gutekunst era, we've kept four tackles every year with the exception of last year. It's always tough with offensive line because you've got hybrids. You've got, you know, you can have guys that are listed as tackles and say, well, there's only four of them, right? But you might have guards that can play tackle or tackles that can play guard or whatever the case may be. But essentially, we're looking at four or five. Well, Bakhtiari, Zach Tom, Yash Nyman, more than likely that's three. So there's maybe one or two more spots. Last year, we had Rasheed Walker and Caleb Jones. But again, Luke Tenuta's in the fold now. And so if there's five, there's still an interesting competition there. And that's assuming DeLance and Telford don't actually win the spots, which with DeLance, I don't think he's going to. Telford, kind of a wait and see thing. But if it's four, it gets super complicated. I think at this point, if you told me I had to guess, it would be Bakhtiari, Zach, Tom, Yash, Nyman, and Rasheed Walker. But that would just be a complete guess. We got to see how this training camp kind of unfolds. But we've got six guys that I think have a legit argument for being on the uh, on the team as a tackle, and there will not be six tackles on the team. Five at most. More than likely, it'll be four. Anyways, you guys have a good rest of your night. Tomorrow we will do. Uh, you know, the plan will be to do interior offensive line. But I'll talk to you later. Have a good one. Bye bye. <laughs>